Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. And it's finally Halloween season. I'm so excited. It's literally my favorite time of year. And you can't deny that it's not yours because you've been working on stuff for the outside for like a month. No, it is definitely my favorite time of the year, but it's going to be different this year. I know. Not only is the world different, but we moved in our old house. We used to decorate our whole front of our house and we had just a shit ton of trick-or-treaters and people outside and this year I don't think that's going to happen at all no I want in and our new neighborhood anyways doesn't get a lot of trick-or-treaters no so this year's gonna be kind of sad but I made up for it I bought us tickets to drive through haunted immersion thing yeah tomorrow night yeah and then again (laughs) she had to get the first night or you got the second night because you didn't want the first night in case they needed to fix things like it's been a whole thought process it was and then I bought another set of tickets for a VIP one just to do it again and watch it if it sucks I'm gonna be so mad yeah but I found like a ton of places there's even a place in Santa Clarita that does like a zombie apocalypse where they give you laser guns and you sit in your car and you shoot the zombies attacking your car yeah that's far for us though yeah i just i don't really associate zombies with halloween i know that seems weird but a zombie apocalypse i don't know that i associate it with halloween. just a theme for halloween it just sounds fun i mean i want to do anything halloween we don't get to go to not scary farm this year like nothing is really open Mm-mm. we used to do a haunted house in our front yard remember yeah where a few they, years ago yeah and now we, now nothing. Nothing. COVID. Hashtag COVID sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, in October, we promised that we would be focusing all our episodes on haunted locations. So that's just what we did. And to be honest, I'm a little embarrassed we haven't done an episode on this place yet. Well, I was volunteering as a researcher for, God, several different paranormal investigation teams. I think three of them. The name of this place came up often, and I mean often. So much so that I tired of hearing the name that I kind of equated it with one of those places that are overhyped and over-investigated and over-talked about to the point that I never even looked it up or inquired about any of the stories. Like I just would hear about it so much, so much, so much that I was like, it's just got to be stupid. Yeah. So I never even looked it up. And now I'm a little bit embarrassed because as a lover of history, in particular morbid or macabre history, and... um being a huge fan of old architecture, I'm kind of shocked when I started looking into this, how much I was missing by not doing research on this place. Named the Preston School of Industry, this boys' reform facility opened in 1894 to a lot of political fanfare. Located in Ione, California, the castle, as it became to be known as, is one of the oldest and believed haunted locations in California, and maybe even the entire U.S. People talk about it a lot. It's not hard to believe when you hear the tragic tales to come out of this building in the grounds. Originally spanning 230 acres, the building began construction in 1890 by state legislature for rehabilitating juvenile offenders and those boys who were turned over to the state by their parents and guardians for whatever reason. 
On July of 1894, the School of Industry accepted their first wards, as they were called, and it was a total of seven boys ranging in age from 12 to 17 from San Quentin Prison. And I don't know if you know this, but, and I never really thought about it before. I mean, kids are getting in trouble. We have juvenile hall now. So kids, you know, as young as six or five could be getting in trouble and going to juvenile hall. I mean, we hope hope not. not. But I mean, it's true though. They do. And um, I never thought of where they went before juvenile hall was a thing. Yeah. And through this, I found out they were sent to San Quentin and Folsom Prison, two maximum maximum security prisons. There were maximum security back then, too. Yeah, the scariest, scariest places on earth, I swear to God. For a 12-year-old. For anyone, yeah. really. And then... For anyone who's not a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, to send little kids there, yeah. that's insane. Well, that's why they, the state leg- legislature was pressing to open the... There was the Whittier Reform School, which is about building still standing, and then the Preston School of Industry in California. So the boys that were at San Quentin at the time were sent, were the first awards of Preston School of Industry. So that was our juvenile hall of today. Basically, they didn't, yeah, they didn't have anything specifically for juveniles. And it wasn't until 1907 that kids were sent to reformatory schools instead of Folsom, in California anyways, instead of Folsom and San Quentin. 1907. So before 1907, they were sent to the scariest places on earth. I mean, you think that would straighten the shit out? Make you not do things yeah, bad? You would think. The Preston School of Industry remained open until 1960. And weirdly, they had just finished building new facilities there and then closed it. The building remained vacant and falling into disrepair until September 10th, 2001. That's a really freaking long time. 40 years? Yeah. And I'm sure it wasn't empty i'm sure people were screwing with it that whole 40 years you know what i mean like just kids being stupid yeah i mean anybody they could have had people camping out there yeah the preston castle foundation received a 50-year lease for the property which is just a group of volunteers and um i actually believe that since then they were actually they were given the deed like the foundation was given the deed to the to the castle i mean not 230 acres anymore i don't even know if it's 10 acres it's a much smaller portion that they got but they the building itself now belong belongs to the volunteers that run the foundation the Preston castle has also been named a california state historical landmark number 867 and is listed on the national register of historic places over the seven decades thousands of boys passed through that intake center crimes ranging from just stealing a rose from someone's garden all the way to rape and murder some of the boys weren't even criminals at all. The children, some of the children that were sent there were kids whose parents couldn't care for them anymore and, like, turned them over to be a ward of the state. Like foster care. Like, so, yeah, like orphans. And they got this sent there. I mean, I guess they must have not. I don't know. I don't it's a weird why. mix of kids. It really is. The wards were separated into different groups based on age, size, temperament, and attitude. Initially, the school provided basic instruction in academics taught them industrial trade skills, and trained them in a military style. And the military style only lasted until the institution grew too large. And then they just kind of, it wasn't really military anymore. They just needed some way to, like, herd them all together so they wouldn't escape and keep track of them. The boys could also participate in sports or be part of the brass band, which the brass band ran the entire time from the day it opened in 1894 
all the way until it closed in 1960. You could be in a brass band, which I I think that's kind of great. That is more of a focus. Well, same with doing the trades and stuff. It focuses more on rehabilitation than like punishment. Than a prison, yeah. Originally, the grounds included a tennis court, a rose garden, and a 7,000 book library. That's huge. Yeah, that's your dream. I, living in a castle is my dream too, but <laughs> probably not that one. It was 46,000 square feet, had 77 rooms and over 40 fireplaces overlooking the hills of Amador County. And a little side note, when the school closed down, it, they made it a free-for-all for anyone to take whatever they wanted. Like they told the employees, take whatever you want, we're shutting down. Tell your friends, they can come up here and take whatever they want. And originally when it was built, they had beautiful mantles over the fireplaces and clawfoot tubs and marble sinks and stuff. And they just basically ransacked the whole house. Anybody could take whatever they wanted in 1960. So there's pieces of the original Preston Castle, probably all over Amador County still to this day. It sounds like it was really nice, like it fancy. Beautiful. It was really beautiful. It's still beautiful. It's very imposing when you people say when they drive there, and it's at the top of a hill. Like, it's it looks like, you know, a giant castle on the hill. It's still very beautiful. Oh, even they, they even removed the roof, their roof tiles, and people would climb up on the roof and take all the tiles for their own houses. You know, anything that's free, I guess. It doesn't sound like a bad place until it sinks in that some of the little boys who were there were placed there by no actions on their part. You know what I mean? Like they weren't bad kids. And they were forced to live with other boys who had committed rape and or murder. I mean, that makes for like a, a weird place to live. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And it said that just the receiving into Preston had to be traumatic for the boys. They were first questioned and evaluated. They were brought in. However, wherever they were coming from, all over California, they were brought in and they were questioned and evaluated. Their hair was completely shaved off. They were told to strip and they were dunked. And I mean dunked literally in a chemical bath to kill any lice or parasites they may or may not have had on them. And then they went straight from the dunking bath, which I understand was in the floor, into like a shower. Can you imagine a nine-year-old boy? No. That was just one day with mom and dad and totally normal, and then all of a sudden... Yeah, but they weren't normal. They had to have been extreme situations. They were either very, very poor, and they couldn't feed their kids, or were homeless. I guess. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't just, like, your next-door neighbor. It was was kids who were already at risk for whatever reason. But, I mean, kids were sent there for stealing bread to feed their family, do you know? Especially during the Depression. If the walls could talk, they would have plenty to say. Preston Castle isn't without some of its famous occupants either, which I find really fascinating. Merle Haggard. Now, you're a country fan. You know who Merle Haggard is? Mm -hmm. He was committed to Preston in 1954 for stealing a car. And then he has a tattoo on his wrist that says PSI, and he's never confirmed or denied whether that PSI stood for Preston School of Industry. Interesting. And um, And he's actually denied any requests for interviews in regards to Preston. He tried to escape twice. The first time, he and a friend climbed down a fire escape and hotwired a car. I guess he literally could hotwire a car within less than a minute. Mm -hmm. He hotwired a car, but the car owner, knowing that the boys were always trying to escape from the castle, chained his car to a tree. So when he took off, he literally, the car was stopped by the chain. And he was caught and put back in. And then the second time, 
he stole the police chief's car and got all the way to Fresno before he was caught. So how did he get he, out? Well, he ended up serving his time. He he did time in San Quentin, too. Really? Or was it San Quentin or Folsom? Someone can correct me. But no, yeah, he continued a life of crime for a long time. Yeah. He says one of his, this is the one and only time someone quoted him regarding Preston, is that when he stole the original car, he jumped out of the car that he tried to steal and he hid in a in a tree, like in a knot in a tree, like a big hole in a tree. And uh, the sheriff's son saw him and met eyes with him. And he put his finger to his lips and told the little boy, like, shh. And the little boy ratted him out. And he said that as they were taking him away in the handcuffs, when he looked back, the little boy was wagging his finger at him. Another famous face to grace Preston Castle was Rory Calhoun. And I know this is someone you have no idea. He was a actor who was famous in the 50s and 60s, uh, mostly in Westerns. He was in one of my favorite movies of all times, which I've made you watch, How to Marry a Millionaire. I don't remember ever seeing that. What? <laughs> With Marilyn Monroe, uh-uh. Betty Grable. Well, he played Betty Grable's um, forest fighting, forest firefighting, or forest ranger. He was a forest ranger in How to Marry a Millionaire. Super cute. He took a turn at Preston at the age of 13. He had stolen a gun, which landed him as a ward and inmate at Preston. Later escaping, just as Merle Haggard did, he continued to commit crimes until he was discovered by fellow actor Alan Ladd, changing his life and his name from Francis McCowan to Rory Calhoun. I just met someone the other day on the phone. Um, she is named, her first name is Rory. And I asked her, like, how did you get the name Rory? Because I'm obnoxious and I do that to everybody. Mm-hmm. And she was actually named after Rory Calhoun. I thought that was super cool. Her dad was a really big fan of old westerns. And he thought they were going to have a boy. So he said, well, my boy's name's going to be Rory. And then when she was born, he said, well, now my girl's name is going to be Rory. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Um, Just a note that when the boys were first received at Preston, they were given a set of clothing. Now, obviously, escaping was a big thing to do. I mean, I just told you two examples. A lot of boys tried to escape. In fact, one of the stories of it being haunted is one of the boys tried to escape and was shot in the back by one of the guards. And so escaping was huge there. And when they first got there, the boys were given a set of clothing. Initially, when it first started, they were giving a military-style, like, uniform. But then as it started to get more crowded, just like the military stuff dropped off, they were given a set of denim jeans, like, jeans and a white T-shirt. But the one thing that never changed is the boys were given a pair of shoes that had an inverted V on it so that they could literally, like, be, so they could be tracked. Like, it would be literally, like, he went this way because the Vs would point in the direction that the boys tried to escape. From imprinting on the ground. Exactly. From their footsteps. That's smart. I mean, is it? I mean, if they were smart, they just took off their damn shoes right when they left, right? I know, but clearly they didn't that much if they kept them in those shoes. That's easy, I guess. Another inmate most people won't recognize, like no one's going to recognize this name, I mean, for sure. You haven't, but you've heard me talk about the old radio shows, how much I love them. Yeah. The um, one, and this is, drives me crazy because I've not been able to find out why he was there. I assume he was there because of circumstances, not because he was breaking any laws. His mom was a tightrope walker, and she fell and injured herself. She fell to the ground and injured herself. So I'm sure they were very poor. So I'm thinking he probably wasn't there because of something he did unless it was stealing food for his family. But his name is Eddie Anderson, and if you do know old radio shows, 
you will know him as Rochester in the Jack Benny, um, with Jack Benny and the Jack Benny program, which that program ran from 1932 to 1950 on the radio. And then in 1950, it moved over to TV for another 15 years. And Eddie Anderson played Rochester that entire time, which was sort of, I guess his, his, I guess in the show, his job was as a valet. It just, if you get a chance and you can Google the Jack Benny show, do yourself a favor, listen to it. If you like podcasts, you'll like old radio shows too. And the Jack Benny program was one of the greatest in Rochester was by far the best character actor in all the radio. And he was at Preston Castle. But along with all these stories of redemption and fame came stories of boys who may have been better left off in San Quentin. Probably the reason why this place is considered one of the most haunted places in America is that evil monsters also walked the halls and more than likely left their mark. Like a gentleman, like I use the term loosely, a little boy at the time, um, named Carol Chessman. His name is Carol. They, he changed the spelling of it, but his first name was Carol Chessman. He started his life of crime in 1937 by stealing a car and ended his life in the gas chamber at San Quentin in 1960 at the age of 38. And a little side note about him is that he caused all kinds of drama with the courts. He would change lawyers and do all kinds of things. And he, he was a bad, bad, bad guy. But he was being executed and a court justice stepped in to grant a new stay on his execution at the last minute. Like you'll see in the movies where the phone rings in the in the gas chamber and they're like, oh, you got a stay of execution. And then they unstrap you and put you back in the prison cells and you just like missed dying. A court justice actually tried to grant a new stay of execution, but it failed because the court secretary who was supposed to call the prison to tell them that they granted him a stay of execution misdialed the prison switchboard phone number and by the time the call was received, it was in rerouted to the execution chamber that it had already begun and they couldn't stop it. So he ended up dying. But he had been tried and convicted of robbery and rape of a 17-year-old girl. Like he stole a car and then hijacked another car, which had a couple in it. He beat the guy. He dragged the girl into the woods and raped her. And I think he actually did it to two different couples. Ew. Yeah, he was in Preston at one time, like. He was a monster. Or there's Eugene Monroe, who was tried for the murder of a Preston employee. He was ultimately acquitted for that brutal slaying, but he was also suspected of two other rapes and murders, both similar to the murder that was committed at Preston, and some suspect that he may have been a serial killer. The deaths that occurred at Preston Castle can't be ignored either. The cemetery located behind the administration building lists 18 graves on findagrave.com. The cemetery is not open to the public and is not on any of the tours through the prison castle historical organization or their paranormal foundation either. One reference I found says the land is now owned by Cal Fire and is strictly off limits to the general public. Historical records claim that the operations that were performed at Preston Infirmary were actually done on the floor. The doctor who worked there claims the majority of the boys arrived in poor health. And over the years, the school dealt with pandemics like the 1918 Spanish flu and although that um, pandemic affected almost half the staff and a third of the wards, n- there weren't technically any deaths from it. The first death seemed to be a boy named Adolf Antron, who died at 18 in 1895 of pulmonary edema, which seems really weird for an 18-year-old, followed by Grant Walker, whose cause of death is listed as typhoid fever, and then Frank Ward, he was only 14, and it says the cause of his death is paralytic dementia which 
by the way, I had to look up. I don't, I've never heard of that before. Thank you, Wikipedia. It says that it was also known as a general paralysis of the insane, a severe neuropsychiatric disorder. How sad. Yeah. All in all, there's only 18 graves listed, which people say a lot more than that died at Preston and were buried at Preston. But if the family had means, the boys could have, the bodies could have been shipped back to like their families. Yeah. But there's 18 graves right there on site. And I can't find the death certificate for any of them, which I find really weird. So it seems like some of the deaths seem suspect for like an 18 year old, you know? So I don't know if they died maybe during operations or it, it was a violent place. They, they went through periods where the staff was violent. The boys were violent. It sounds like it was all sunny and nice, like a beautiful castle, but it really wasn't. It was scary and it was dark and it was filled with evil monsters at yeah. times. Since we've never been there, I got in touch with the Preston Castle Foundation. So stay right where you are. We have a few promos from some of our podcaster friends, and you'll get to listen to some of the ghost stories straight from Connie, who is one of the people who head of the Preston Castle Paranormal Team. Hi, guys. We're Mary and Vanessa, the host of True Crime Dropouts. Join two best friends and former criminal justice majors as they pretend to know all things true crime. So sit down, grab a broom, drive, we really don't care, and give us a listen. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere, really. And don't forget, stay in school, or you'll end up like us, degree list without that fabulous FBI job. Hi there, it's Mo. And Chip. And Mikey. And we're the hosts of the Deep Dark Truth Podcast. An allegedly hilarious podcast that dives into your favorite conspiracies, mysteries, and bizarre true crimes. It's like Reddit for your ears. Wait, what's Reddit? Okay, Boomer. We investigate cases like proven conspiracies, rituals, and the cryptid dating scene. Because local cryptids want to meet you. Call me Bigfoot. Tip line 313-355-3411. Listeners can also submit their own stories and might find themselves featured on future episodes. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast you're listening to right now. And keep searching for the deep, deep dark, dark truth. truth. Ugh, I hate when you do that. Um, your name is Connie, and you are the head of the paranormal team for Preston. I am one of two. There's myself and another person. His name is Chris. Um, we were both selected to um, take over the paranormal team at Preston Castle. Most foundations of older buildings don't have a paranormal team. Why does Preston Castle have its own paranormal team? Um, you know, it's had its own paranormal team for such a long time. Um, I think because of just the interest in the possibility of having having any type of you know paranormal activity or, or ghosts or spirits or how you know whatever you want to call um, it there. And so, I think it's pretty cool. It's a privilege to be able to be up in there and to have um, the opportunity to explore the place for any type of ghost or spirits there. How much do you interact with the actual Preston Castle Foundation, the foundation that runs the property and the building? Um, myself and um, my co-leader, we are actually a part of the um, board of directors for the foundation. 
so we are there. Yeah, we're there. Um, we meet once a month and, you know, help make uh, some of the decisions and, and everything that goes along with the Preston Castle board and, and all that other fun stuff. What a big difference than a few years ago or even, well, 10 years ago, any location that had any kind of history or rumor legends about it didn't embrace the paranormal aspect of it. And Preston Castle is the polar opposite of that. They not only embrace it, they use it to raise funds. You know, we're all, all the people that are on the paranormal team, we are all um, volunteers. So we do not get paid to go up there and give these tours. So all the money that is raised for the paranormal tours goes directly back into the castle and to help restore it correct yes 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 it's all it all goes back into restoration for the castle so let's get to the good stuff okay okay so you i'm assuming you yourself have had your own experiences but i'm curious overall before we get into your own personal experiences what are some of the most often things that happen or things that that people feel or experience there? Um, A lot of people seem to see shadows or in certain areas they'll see almost like little little lights. I don't know if you would um, necessarily call them orbs, but sometimes they'll see lights. A lot of people will hear talking, you know, audible with their ear, not only just on the equipment, but also, you know, they'll they'll hear uh, voices coming from different areas of the castle. Once in a while, I think somebody will see an actual full body apparition, which is really cool. Um, that's kind of like the holy grail of, you know, any paranormal seeker out there is to see the full body apparition. And so on occasion, somebody will actually see that. And people have also, you know, they brought in trigger objects and they will either see, you know, like a deck of cards might have been moved or a toy car might have been moved. Um, We've had, you know, like um, a ball roll across the floor and um, different things like that. And you yourself, what's the most, well, you know, I guess I want to ask too, before I get into that, who do you attribute this spiritual activity to? I mean, I don't know. So many people go into place and say this place is haunted, this place is haunted, or whatever, but there's no history that backs it up. At Preston Castle, that's not true. You've had, the, like, you even had a plague that went through there at one point, right? I wouldn't doubt it. It seems like, you know, most of these haunted buildings have had some sort of plague go through, like, you know, tuberculosis or... Right, particularly in a prison setting like it was, like a reformatory setting that it was. The boys were sleeping all in, like, one room or whatever, so they were all very close to each other. Right, and at one time, the infirmary in the castle was actually used as the town, like the town infirmary or the town hospital. So there is a lot of deaths actually associated with the building. So the spiritual activity there isn't just random, like at some places. It's there's actually there's an actual cemetery there on the grounds, correct? Yeah. For all the years that I've been there, I have never been to the cemetery, but it's not really close to the actual castle. You have to get permission to get into there. Well, originally the castle was purchased 230 acres, from what I understand, and now currently. The foundation owns 12.8 acres. So originally it was part of the, the acreage of the property of 
Preston School of Industry. Yes. But not, okay, so now currently the foundation owns 12 point, I mean, which is significantly a lot less than what the actual school was ran on at 12.8 versus 230 acres. That's, that's a dramatic difference. Yeah. So the activity that a lot of the people that do the ghost tours and invest, I mean, I feel like every TV show has done an investigation there. Just about, yeah. So it's not attributed to any one of the particular boys. I, you know, we have never gotten, like, confirmation. direct, yeah, confirmation or direct names of one particular boy or anything there. Um, there have been people in the past that have gotten some names that might have been on the archives list of, you know, boys that were there, but I don't, uh, you know, me personally, I haven't ever gotten the same name of a boy that has come through every time I've been there. So it were I'm not sure as far as that goes. But you know, as far as like the what you know, the hauntings that are there, um, we definitely are leaning towards the boys that were there at Preston Castle, that spirits that are there, those are the ones that we are mainly directing our uh, attention to. And it's like, they always talk about, investigators always talk about there being different types of hauntings. There's like actual, I don't even know what the different, like an apparition that you see, which is an actual ghost, quote unquote ghost. And then there's like the history overlay where it's just replaying over and over again, like a, a spot is imprinted with the tragedy or the ongoings of that location. Do you think that it's actual spirits walking around or do you feel like it's more of an imprint on history that it's something just replaying over and over again, like a DVR or something? Um, in my experience, it's both. I've seen, um, I've seen a full body apparition there that I believe was, you know, like you said, just an imprint of a person that had worked there or had been there at that time. And then we've actually got some direct contact as far as them responding to us, you know, as we ask our questions. So there's intelligent haunting there, just as all the different other kinds of, of hauntings. I, yes, I, I truly believe that, and I've experienced that myself. Okay, so tell us about some of your experiences. So I've seen a full-body apparition there. Um, it was actually, I was not a part of the team. I was not part of the foundation. It actually happened to be the very first time I had gone up there for a nighttime investigation. I was super, super excited. And But at the same time, um, I definitely was a skeptic and didn't know, you know, really what to expect. But I was standing in the doctor's office and I was looking, I was kind of like sitting opposite from the door that led into the, one of the main hallways. And I was watching that area and all of a sudden I saw what looked like someone in a white jacket walk right past the doorway. And it took me, you know, a second to kind of think is that something that was that a real person or was that some sort of spirit or whatever but it took me a minute to actually speak up and I finally asked one of the um, other uh, girls that was there is this somebody walking down the hall and so she went out to look and she walked a little further down the hall and she says no there's nobody there and I said I completely saw this 
person in a white jacket walk past the door. But the person was not – it didn't look solid. And so I, what I think it was was I think it was one of the doctors. And going back to talking about spirits or, or people that were imprinted in there, I think, you know, it's not like he stopped and, you know, waved at the doorway. It looked like he was just doing his business. You know, so like a residual haunting. Yeah, exactly. And so that was kind of a shocker to me. Um, you know, it took it, it took me a while to kind of process what I actually saw. And so that same night, I was in the infirmary, and I felt, <laughs> and it's kind of funny, um, I felt somebody touch my butt. And so... <laughs> It, you know, I'm standing in the middle of this room. There was nothing close, nobody around me, and I didn't have any, you know, equipment at the time because I was, you know, super new to doing any of this. Um, and so I totally felt something touch my butt, and I, I remember turning around very quickly wondering, you know, did somebody brush up against me or whatever. So that was also another one that was a little shocking because I wasn't expecting it. And so over the years, I've heard whispers in my ear. Um, I've seen a ball roll across the room. Um, I have felt somebody tug on my hair. And one time we had, my son was up there with me and he had um, a Halloween costume with him. And they had like these glowing eyes. It was like a Grim Reaper type outfit. And they were off and we had left the room. We came back and they were on. So um, I don't know, you know, there wasn't anybody around that could have switched them on. Yes. Things malfunction with that are battery operated, but you, you know, in order for these to come on, you actually had to, there was a little switch on the side of the the glasses that you had to switch on. So that was kind of weird. What's a really good example of the scaredest you've ever been there? Well, first, let me let me throw a disclaimer out there. I don't think that there's anything that is evil in the castle. That was my next question. That was what I was going to ask um, you. I mean, the stories that come out of Preston Castle, the, some of them are very tragic. Some of those boys have written uh, memoirs where they don't speak super highly of the way that it was run or the people. I mean, and I'm not saying everyone because, I mean, it was a reformatory. It wasn't It wasn't a... a summer camp it was a reformatory they were the majority of them I know although you had said that some of the boys were there because they were orphaned or given to the ward of the as become a ward of the state because of circumstances just beyond their control parents couldn't afford to keep them and they were wards of the state and the, the state would send them there so not all of them were bad kids but no. a huge a, a bunch of them were really bad people so that was one of my questions if any of that residual, the negativity there, kind of parlays into the investigations that you have. I have never, I have never experienced anything that I would consider demonic or evil at the castle. And you know, I don't. There might, there might be some people out there that have claimed that they've gotten scratched or something like that. And and you know, again, I'm not gonna say that they haven't. But you know, me personally. And other people that I've talked to, you know, some of the people on the paranormal team and, and stuff like that. I don't feel, you know, I don't think any of us feel that there's anything super 
evil or demonic there. Um, there is one spirit there that we think is, he's a little angry and we're not sure what his name is. We're not sure what it is that he's angry about, but he's, I don't feel like he's, he'll ever hurt anybody, but he can definitely make you feel uncomfortable. And so that goes into your question of, you know, if, if I've ever been scared or anything like that, it's not necessarily scared, but um, I've had there, there is the one spirit there where I've had him follow me throughout the basement and where he's very intimidating and he's made me feel uncomfortable, but I don't think that he would be harmful. He's one of those that you have to kind of stand your ground and go, okay, I know you're here. You need to, you need to back off and you need to leave me alone. And typically he does. Do you feel like it's someone that may have worked there or one of the the boys that were a ward of, of the reformatory? It's really hard to say. I I have no clue. We really we really don't have any clue. The people that have you know had experiences, um, but we all we all have have felt that it is a male presence, and I we're just not we're not exactly sure who he is, what part he had to you know when he was. It, when and if he was at Preston Castle, because honestly, we don't know for sure. And uh, I got He does have a particular have a area. <laughs> Do you have a name for him? I I have to ask because most um, I I have my own little name for him, um, and I wish I knew what it, you know what an actual name for. You know, there there's been names that have come up. Michael seems to be one of the names that comes up for him. But I tend to call him Mr. Creeper because he's creepy and, you know, like you feel like he's watching you. And so, you know, when you feel like somebody's watching you from afar, you know, you're like, yeah, it's a total creeper, you know. So he has a particular area he hangs out in. He hangs out in our basement area, particularly the in what we call the intake room, which is where the boys entered into the castle and were registered or whatever before going into we actually have a delousing pool which if you were to walk through there that it looks pretty creepy in there too but that has to feel creepy in there that had to be a very traumatic experience especially for boys who were not going there as a form of punishment but going there because of circumstances beyond their control to have to be deloused like that had to be a super traumatic thing Right, and for chemicals, you know, just being thrown into a, a um, into a pool, you know, whether you knew how to swim or not or whatever, you know, the, it's it's pretty deep, you know, with a bunch of chemicals, and you're thrown in there just to, you know, de louse, and if you have any bugs or anything like that, you know, and would so, you say that's the creepiest room in the castle? I yeah, that's probably one of the creepier areas in the castle, just because you know what went on in there. So what would you say is your one particular scariest experience that you've had? I'm going to say that the one particular scary moment I had was when, um, you know, that, that spirit down in the uh, basement followed me into uh, what we call the day room. And I, we were, a bunch of us were sitting, you know, in kind of like a half circle and I just felt like I 
felt like I was being stared at. And um, it made me feel so incredibly uncomfortable. And I almost kind of froze while I was sitting there. And one of the girls that was sitting next to me, she asked if I was okay. And I shook my head, no. And she said, you know, what's wrong? I said, I'm being stared at. And she actually had to tell that spirit to leave me alone because I couldn't seem, it's like I couldn't get the words out to tell him to go away, to leave me alone, to give me my space. I've been startled, you know, um, and things like that. Um, It's always startling when you're sitting in a quiet room and then you hear, like, voices down the hall or something like that, you know, and you're wondering where (laughs) – who's doing it and where are they coming from, especially if we're not all split up into groups and we're all sitting in one room and it's clear that the voices are not coming from that room. When people get to go there and tour, do they get to actually investigate? Do they like get to bring in their own equipment and investigate on their own? So we have a couple of different tours. We have a daytime tour and that is, that's led by um, we actually have daytime docents, and we they typically don't talk about any of the paranormal stuff there because they're uh, mainly for history purposes of um, the castle. They do the historical tours, the paranormal tours. You can bring your own equipment. Um, the only thing you know that we do ask is we of course we cannot have any type of ignition fire sources nothing no candles nothing like that because the place is a tinderbox um and we um we do not want it to burn down you know we love preston castle and we would be devastated if anything like that were to happen and no ouija boards you know and we're not asking the spirits to go away we want them there we want them to stay that is their home we're there to visit Although we tell them that, you know, we will come back to visit them. They're not allowed to follow us in our vehicles. They're not allowed to follow us home um, and that they're to remain at the castle. But other things like voice recorders and other, you know, just all these new cool equipment um, and devices that are coming out that um, can detect any type of any type of ghost or spirit or whatever. And so, you know, those are definitely all welcome. Do you ever, um, a lot of people believe that releasing, like if people who do believe in, in this particularly intelligent hauntings or intelligent apparitions or whatever the, the wording is, that the job of an investigator or a healer or a spiritual shaman, for lack of better words, that your responsibility is to pass them on or help them cross over, quote, unquote, rather than leave them there. Do you ever feel like maybe there's, there's, there's activity that should be crossed over? Or, I mean, I think, I don't know how to word it, but that's a lot of people go in places just to do that in particular, to release spirits, to be able to leave a place and not be stuck in one place. But you're saying that you, you don't do that there because you want them to stay, right? Well, we want them to, you know, this is such, for at least in my opinion, 
it's hard to say, are, you know, are they going to come up and tap you on the shoulder and say, you know, I'd really like to get out of here. Right. Um, it's going to be an opinion know, of someone. It's going to, yeah, it's definitely the opinion of someone, you know, um, sometimes I've, I've been up before I actually started, you know, running uh, the investigations there, we did go and say, Hey, if you want to be crossed over, you're welcome this is your chance to be to cross over, but if you'd like to stay and this is your home, please stay. But, you know, whether that actually happens or not, who's to say? Because I think we're dealing with multiple entities that are there, and um, it's really hard to say whether they want to stay or not. We aren't up, up there trying to chase anybody out, out of there, any of the spirits out of there. What is the strongest piece of evidence? that you've collected at Preston Castle, that there is actual paranormal activity there? Me personally or things Just that in general. Is, in general, like the best piece of evidence that there is. Most of, you know, most of the time it's recordings. I've gotten recordings up there. Um, one particular time we were in the dining area. We were all, there were several of us sitting at the dining room table there. And uh, somebody had asked whoever, if, if the, the spirits there wanted us to to be there and I you know when I went to listen back on my recorder and I don't and I really strongly believe it wasn't somebody sitting at the table because I would have tagged it but over my recorder I got the word no so you know they did not (laughs) and they do you know they we have gotten evidence that when people have asked do you want us here do you want us to leave do you want us to go to a different room We've had them directly respond to us, yes, no, and um, if they want us to leave, we leave that area. Have so, you ever heard anyone say, like, get out? Like those um, specific words? Because that would scare the shit out of me. Someone I, said get out, and I don't know who it was. I'm, I'm getting out. Yeah. I have never, um, and there may have been, you know, other people have gotten it. I personally have never heard Spirit tell us um, at Preston for us to get out. To me, you know, most of the stuff that happens there, like the boys are mischievous and and playful and, and stuff like that. So some of the funnest stuff to do is like we've done recordings where we're like we've had them cuss at us over the over like the spirit box or, or something like that because they're they're messing with us. They're playing with us. And we try to keep, you know, a lot of the questions and stuff like that related to what they would have done there and stuff like that. And I'm sure there were times that the the guards there would punish these boys for cussing or for smoking or stuff like that, getting caught of doing something that they weren't supposed to do. So most of the stuff that happens there seems to be related to that kind of stuff. And being, not boys being in a reformatory. Yeah, boys situation. being boys. I don't know, you know, and especially like females that go in there and stuff like that. These these boys are, they're around boys all the time. And so, so they're fascinated I, by the woman think, that come in. Yeah, I think that they're pretty fascinated, especially if a pretty girl comes in there, you know, then of course, you know, they're going to be interested in, in and maybe they'll, they'll direct more of the uh, attention towards the females that are in there. And so we were saying, you were saying that you have the regular daytime tours, which don't mention the paranormal stuff. And then right. you typically would have nighttime tours where people come in who are investigators or just regular people who just want to experience a, an um, investigation. 
We have people from, um, you know, there's been times where we've had people up there that are only interested in the historical aspect of it, even though there is clearly two different types of, you know, uh, tours up there. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, people that have never investigated and are super skeptics and just come up there to see, you know, is this really true to very experienced paranormal investigators that have like tons of equipment and are very serious, you know, about doing investigations. And so, so your tours are open to both people. Yes. The regular layman who just wants to experience something paranormal and then actual investigators and the tours are the same or do you do different things like open it up just to investigators on these certain nights and these open up certain nights for just regular tours um you we have our public tours they're open up to anybody at any stage of interest for doing the paranormal tours and then we have uh you can book a private paranormal tour and you know where you're gathering your own group of you know, friends, family, or whoever, or, you know, your team that can book the castle out for the night. So So you uh, have a range of things that people could choose to do. Yes. Yes. So hashtag COVID sucks. This year you can't do any of the things that you would typically do. Um, No, we have had one investigation that was earlier in March before um, everything shut down for everybody one of our biggest um, events is our Halloween haunt, which is amazing. We turn the castle into a haunted attraction. Um, there are three floors that you can go through. It's self-guided. And um, it really, really is like one of our biggest fundraisers. And unfortunately, um, due to COVID, we were not able to do that this year. And that is a huge, huge disappointment. We are all so sad that we we can't do this. And that financially affects whether things get done at the castle throughout the year, right? The fact that you can't do that. It it really, it definitely hurts the castle um, as far as that goes because we're all volunteers. Again, um, every penny goes back into the castle that's made from that Halloween haunt. And so... Yeah, it it definitely hurts us to um, not be able to have that financially. And so So if someone wanted to donate, whether they believe in the preservation of the castle, if they're like architecture or history fans or they're fans of the paranormal, a way that they can donate is what? Go to your website? Yes, um, you can go to uh, PrestonCastle.org, not .com, .org. And there is a donate button. You can donate through uh, that, and um, the money goes uh, towards, you know, helping the castle out as as far as preservation and all that. Um, We definitely need the help with that. You know, the castle doesn't do just the paranormal. It does the daytime. It does the paranormal. It does the Halloween haunt. We have wine events big barbecue events, we have a movie night, we have weddings, we have picture days, we have so many different um, events. And um, Christmas, yeah, we can't, we can't do our Christmas um, events. And so um, all that is, um, you know, has been canceled for the year. And you'll be back in 2021 with all these 
We hope to as soon mm-hmm. as as soon as things open up, as soon as Health Advisor allows us to 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 open up and California opens up. So um, we hope to come back bigger and stronger um, for our Halloween haunt next year. Well, okay. So can people sign up on your website to? Do you have like a newsletter or anything that goes out? Um, I believe that there is a newsletter. Um, you can go to. You can also. Um, so there's different things you can do. You can donate. You can buy a brick. Um, you can become a uh, a member of the castle. And so um, definitely look at the membership, um, and um, that all helps go towards the restoration of the castle. And so I believe with the membership, you get a newsletter and stuff like that, and that just you know tells kind of what the what the happenings are and what we're what we're doing. And the projects that we're working on with the castle, I have created a um, for just the paranormal tours. Um, I have a Facebook page. Um, they can go to Preston Castle Paranormal Tours, and if they can like and follow me on on that, um, there's not a whole lot of activity right now. But that's where I will be posting like the tour dates and all that other stuff besides what you see on the website. Um, I know money's tight for everybody, but, um, you know, we definitely need the help, and it's really for a good cause, and this is a good, um, you know, thing to uh, donate your, your money or, you know, time, even if you're local, you know. When Helping to preserve history. Yeah. So. Well, I'm definitely, we're going to definitely come see you. When you sure. open again, we're gonna for we're sure. gonna come up and visit you. It's you're only about five hours from us, so. Thank you so much, Connie, for spending so much time with me today and the other day and all the times we've spoken so far. Yes, absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Is Preston Castle filled with the intelligent hauntings of the boys and staff who lived and sometimes died there, or just imprints of its tragic and violent past? I'll leave that up to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to follow and comment on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.